I encourage you to um, bring a friend next week, the pastor we got. He's one of the pastors of the largest churches in Melbourne, in Victoria. Uh, uh, extremely amazing prophetic, prophetically as well, so you're going to be blessed. Okay, for what I want to share tonight, and we're also going to have some time of prayer for people as well, is that your 2024... is going to change if there is a change in you first. See, one of the, one of the concepts that is net, we don't put a lot of weight on is whatever is seen naturally happen in the invisible realm, not the other way around. So whatever you see was once invisible, but it took a person to bring the invisible to the visible. So we have an invisible God. So Jesus comes in the flesh and he says, now I want to see what was invisible. You can see in me. So your 2024 highlights are invisible. Can I just, if you do not put into motion 2024, you will automatically get what you have before and what you don't want. You can say amen. amen. See, one of the, nothing is going to happen unless you speak. The world wasn't created because God had a good thought. He had a good thought, but every thought needs to be brought into realization. And the way you bring things into realization is by speaking. The reason I got married, because I had great thoughts about Sulay. Seriously, I had amazing thoughts, right? I had, I had thoughts about marriage. I had thoughts about travel. I had thoughts about a house, car, right? But nothing happened until I said, Hi, my name's Ted Fabiani. So if you're young and you like somebody, you're going to have to say something. Not over Facebook. Come on. Now, we're going to talk about revival. The first thing we need to understand about revival... You can't revive something that isn't there. So you, you can't revive a dream that you never had. You can't revive a financial situation that you never had. So the word revival means to bring back to popularity. It also means to breathe again. It means to bring something that once was there to life again. It's, it's to breathe again. Now, because you are very smart. Every time God revives a dream, he adds to it. You should be excited. So sometimes we think, see, let me take you up into God's level. God never gives one for one. The Bible says if a thief steals from you, he has to give it to you back seven times. Now, if a thief has to give it to you seven times, how much more will God give you what was stolen? So God always says this. When a biblical expectation comes in, it's never one on one, but it's multiplied. That is why the Bible says you put one seed into the ground, you can get a hundred. 
So what we need to do when you start to get revival is that God says this, I want to revive what's in you. Now, you can't revive it unless you know what you've lost. You good? Now, I want to show you something here. We're going to read from the... Uh, revival is your wake-up call. That means when revival hits, it's going to wake you up. You're not going to be asleep. One of the things I love about hotels, there, there's so many things I love about hotels. Number one, you have an invisible name. You have a cook. You mean, you know what, it's, it's magical because you mess the whole room up, right? You take a piece of paper, you hang it on the door, and you come back, the paper is missing, and the room is clean. And there's chocolate on the, on the couch. There's this, the fridge has been filled up again. Then you get hungry, and you ring up your personal chef. And he goes, have you read my menu for you? I have a vision for your life. It's called menu. It's amazing. So it is when God wants to wake you up. The Bible says there is a, in the world today, there's a spirit called the spirit of stupor. The spirit of stupor puts you to sleep to your dreams. The spirit of stupor wants you to sleep while I am speaking. The spirit of stupor will stop you listening when somebody wants to give you a breakthrough. The spirit of stupor will tell you that you need to be doing something else instead of praying, reading God's word, worshipping. A spirit of stupor gives you the opposite of a wake-up call. He says, I want you to be comfortable without having anything. I want you to be comfortable with where you are. The spirit of stupid's language is this. There's always somebody worse off than you that stop complaining. So the spirit of stupor says it's about your need. God's spirit says it's about your assignment. It's about your vision. You're very quiet tonight. I, I know it's a new year. So the, so the word to revive, it means to bring, to make it important again. It, it says it, it's going to make it famous again. It, it, it improves your condition. It improves your strength. It improves your fortunes. And you start living again. Some of you tonight have opted to live a lower life than the life that God put inside of you. Come on, have you ever gone and seen a couple or seen a house or a business and something else goes... Ugh. You know what that is? That is... That in you that says you're supposed to be doing that, it needs to be revived. Anytime you see something and you go, something in me rises up. That is why you get musicians. They hear something and they go, I should be doing that. You have, I should be having that business. I should be driving that. I should be living there. See, what it happens is this. You are born with so much, but then it comes to sleep. And then people, then you hang around people that love sleep. And what do you talk about? Sleep. <laughs> when people have, you put a people, every one of them that has lost finances, what, are the, what do they all talk about? What they lost. You lost that much? Oh, that's not, I lost more. No, you lost that much. I lost more than both of you put together. Then somebody says, combine you, I've lost that plus more. 
get around people that think the same, talk the same, what they do is they put a lid on your life and they go, lower your expectation. And watch this. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John. Peter, who needed a name change because he forgot who he was, when Peter was born, they named him Simon the Reed. Jesus comes up and he says, no, I'm going to change you. And then you get John, who wrote the gospel of love. He, I love John. He, when he wrote about himself, I am the person that Jesus loves. I, I, I love it. So they're coming and they're going to a prayer meeting. And on the way to their prayer meeting, now just watch this now. To put John, sorry, Acts chapter 3, Jesus dies. You have 50 days after the resurrection. They come in and the Holy Ghost fills them to be witnesses. Now I want you to understand this. The Holy Ghost's job is to manifest whatever God's put inside of you. So the Holy Spirit says this, I manifested the Father. I manifested His goodness. I manifested His provision. I manifested His healing. I manifested His hope. So I want you to reproduce that so that everybody else can hear it. So there's Peter and John. They come to a prayer meeting. There's a beggar. Now watch this. Let's define a beggar. You can be a millionaire and be a beggar. The word beggar or the spirit of a beggar, what we, what we have been robbed and put to sleep because a beggar mentality is not just about food and money. A beggar mentality is about life. It is about fulfilling the vision that you have. A beggar mentality is something that you go, I wish I could, but I've got no one to help me. A beggar mentality lives from day to day to day to day. A beggar mentality doesn't have a plan. A beggar mentality says, take what you want. No. What does a beggar mentality say? What can you give me? And watch this. A beggar mentality has multiple sources. So a beggar doesn't know who's coming, so he's hoping that this person will be the source. This person will be the source. So a beggar mentality hasn't got one source. It has multiple. And a beggar mentality works on self-pity. Because if I pity you, then if, if, if I will give to you. And sometimes the beggar mentality makes the person feel guilty so that they give. It's called manipulation. When somebody has to manipulate you to love them, to give to them, to provide them, that's beggar. Come on. A beggar, when he sees somebody, what does he do? He puts his hand out. Why? That is an indicator, indicator, please meet my need. If he puts his hand out, you walk by him. So there is this beggar. And this beggar knows something. I love this guy. Guess where he's begging? In church. Outside of church. Why? Because he knows that God's children have got a lot of money. Come on, come on. 
Smile. Why would, why would you be put in front of a church? If the church wasn't prosperous, no, take, take me somewhere else. Take me to Woolies. Because I know those people got money because they're going to buy something. No one goes to Woolies to window shop. Hey, hey, babe, how are you doing today? Honey, I'm taking you out. Where are we going? We're going to Woolies. Oh, uh, yeah, no, 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 seriously. We're going to go for us a fresh witch burger. Oh, look at those vegetables. Wow. Wow. You having a great time? Wow. Do, do, do you think that they'll let us sleep here during the night? <laughs> so this beggar and his mates are clever. So what they do is they go, I tell you what we'll do. Let's beg. Let's beg in front of church. You know why? Let me just show you this. The custom was you never go to church without giving. That was in, in the DNA of the church that when you come to worship, you do something practical and you also do something spiritual because in church, both are the same. Okay. Now, he comes there and he puts his hand out wanting to give. Now, listen to this. Peter and John fixed fix their eyes intently on him and said, look at us. Stop there. How arrogant. Come on. Heaven doesn't religion tell you, oh, it's not about me. I, I, I'm a nobody. There's nothing of value inside of me. Don't look at me. What's wrong with them? Come work with me. Have you ever thought, like Pastor Sewer said, that you're advertising God? See, the only, the only, look, today I went into a store and somebody opened up to me and I just, he, oh, he was going through some stuff and I said, can I pray for you? And he looked at me and all of a sudden he comes up, my, my best friend's daughter just committed suicide, this, 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 this. And I said, I want to pray for you. He goes, really? See, I came in to buy balsamic vinegar and I got the really good stuff. I, I got some of that and I also got some cheese and stuff like that. I came in there to not just to buy that, but I came in here to advertise the power of Jesus. See, I don't go out to survive, I go to advertise. So Peter and John, the first thing they do is they take him off every other source and says, have a look at us. Have a look at Do you realize that you've got something so amazing in you that you can say, God, look at me. You want to know what a marriage looks like? Come and live with me. If you want to know, look at this. Look at us. Now listen to this. Sir, look at us. What we have belongs to you. Just get this. The other translation says, such as I have, give I you. Now let me take you to another level. You, now let me talk to you as believers. Okay? As a believer, you have two compartments that God has given you. One is to use for yourself. And the other one is to tell people what God has for them. Okay. You, see, what Paul is... So what Peter and John are telling you now, let me show you ministry. Ministry is... That I have something that belongs to you. I have, brought, I have come here tonight with something that belongs to you. 
I don't live on what belongs to you. I live on what belongs to me. My God should supply all of my needs. So that department is done, checklisted. But then there is another department in me where God gives me a supply to give to somebody else. That therefore it means if I see a need, I can give. Why? I'm not taking it out of my supply. I am taking it out of their supply. So he comes in and tells them this. Then this is powerful. He goes, what I have belongs to you. Now watch this. Let me prove it to you scripturally. This man did not realize that 60 to 70 days ago, there was a man by the name of Jesus the Messiah who died on the cross and he took his sin and his sickness away. So it belonged to him. You with me? Now, this is, this is, if you can get a load of this, so he comes into Peter and says, I am carrying healing. Yep. One is for my body, but there's another part for your body. So he goes to the man and he tells him this. I am here to tell you what, and give you what belongs to you. Now listen to me. What that does, I can prove it to you now. That automatically disqualifies the beggarhood. Because a beggar never knows what he's going to get. A beggar's never approached me and said, you got my money, man. I know you got it. Beggars don't do that. But here is the, the Holy Spirit through Peter and John. And, and he's speaking to him. I've got something that belongs to you. Listen to me, the person that's sitting next to you has something that belongs to you. Right now, if there's unforgiveness between people, guess, guess what you're carrying? You're carrying forgiveness for somebody else. Come on. There's somebody that needs a word of encouragement. You're carrying somebody else's encouragement. See, we think we're empty vessels. I am so tired of Christians feeling empty. You know, dear Jesus, oh, I am so empty, fill me. No. How dare you think that God gives you something that leaks? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, we just go, oh, I need a fresh, <laughs> you know, I need a fresh feeling because the feeling I've got is gone. The anointing on your life doesn't have a use by date. God didn't say this. You know what, Ted, I'm going to give you five minutes to repent. Because that's how long my forgiveness lasts. Five, four, three. Oh, too bad. Come on. Right now, you, God has foreseen needs that for others and he's put it into you. That is why God said, go out into all the world. Why? Because you've got the answer for the world. We, we do it in business. I, I was a troubleshooter at work. The answer to the company's problems was in me. And I loved it because they paid for it. I got a car out of it. I got a lap. I just got bring on the problem. The reason I love the problems is because my job wouldn't exist without problems. So I want you to watch this. The problem in your relationship is in you, not in the other person. 
So he says, come on. So he starts to speak to them. And then he says this, such as I have. I am giving something that belongs to you. That is why we do not pray. God, if it's your will, heal me. If it's your will, provide for me. If it's your will, keep me safe. You only pray that if you are living outside of revelation. When Jesus died on the cross, that healing became legally yours with your name on it. So there's a healing with your name on it. It's not a generic term. And so he comes up to him and he says, such as I have. And what does he do? In the name of Jesus, I pass the gift that was brought for you, for you to have. You know what revival is? Revival is the Holy Spirit waking you up to see what's inside of you. We're always thinking in a outward fashion, it's out there, I've got to bring it in. It's out there, not bring it in. Now watch this scripture. Romans 8, 16 to 17, out of the Passion Translation. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being. You are God's beloved child. Just stop there. How can he say that if it's not true? He's reminding you. Now, we've just done communion, correct? Yes. Where were you during communion? No? Yes. You just had communion. Yes. What does the Bible say? Do this in? Ah. So God's not saying I've got to do it again. He says, you've forgotten what I've done. God says, do this. Often remember it. So that you don't forget what you have. Communion is a reminder of your ownership. And if you don't feel you own it, you've got to ask for it. So you know what you do when you understand communion? God, I thank you for healing. God, I thank you for my healing my body. I thank you for healing my mind. I thank you for healing my heart. So what we do is we forget. And the Holy Spirit says this. is the Holy Spirit that whispers to you or what is inside of you. You are my beloved child. Verse 17. And since we are his true children. Stop. You good? God calls you a child. Watch now. If I can be a little bit more graphic. You come from the same womb as Jesus. You come from the same source. God doesn't do this. It's not this one. Okay. I, I was in PNG, Papua New Guinea, and there was this guy who had 10 wives. He kept them at one kilometer apart because there's a lot of fighting. Now, he could say this. I have children from multiple wombs. So he had one children with this one, and they were all one week apart. You, get, you with me? So when he says, I have children, he's saying, that one is from that source. That one is from that source. But when God says, you are my child, he is indicating it is your sin. I come from the same source. The Bible says that Jesus is the first of many, correct? 
You might be the second, the third, but when I look at my lineage, it's in. I came out of the same womb. So when God called Jesus a child, He is talking to me in the same reference as He does with Jesus. So, the, so therefore, there are no personality things in Christ. He goes, I like you, but I don't like you. What you need to do is get re. Yeah, you need to get reacquainted with Jesus because the way he sees Jesus is the way he sees you. Most of us are so reacquainted with the old man, we have never ever dealt with the new man. Okay, let's get back. Oh, there's something wrong with that clock. <laughs> and since we are, what's this, joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is identity and all that he has so your identification has to be twofold you can be identical i know jesus died for me good but then god says but i also wanted you to be identified and acquainted with in what i have do you know what you have a lot of people know, I know what Jesus has. But the Word of God says that you become identified with who He is. Second, you become identified with what He has. Let me ask you a question. Has Jesus got problems? Has Jesus got an inferiority complex? Does Jesus go, oh, Father, 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 I'm really not really good. Uh, Father, I, I, I don't deserve to sit next to you. Is it possible that we make a, a, a fifth or, or sixth throne? Uh, you know what? I, I, I feel inferior to you. Do you realize if Jesus hasn't got an inferiority complex to be in the presence of God, therefore you don't either? Jesus became sin, correct? But he's now no longer sin conscious. So if Jesus is no longer conscious of your sin, why are you still conscious on yours? You can tell a believer, anybody, listen to me carefully, anybody that keeps taking you back to your past hasn't had his mind regenerated to think like Jesus. Okay, we're going to leave it there. I'll keep moving on because I can feel... The thing is, right, the God wants us to mature. And how can we mature if we don't think like sons? You can, be, you can get your maturity level from being a beggar. You can be a mature beggar. But God doesn't want a mature beggar. He wants a mature son. He wants a mature daughter. Listen to this. So we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We experience being co-glorified with him, approved, that we accept his suffering as ours. What's the suffering? A lot of people think about the pain. You know what the suffering is? That you get persecuted because you know who you are. What Satan had, one of the things the spiritual world hates is authentic children. Why was, why was, why was everybody having a go at Jesus? Jesus was born. What did they want to do? They wanted to kill everybody under the age of three. Because they were afraid. You, see, you stand out in the spirit world when you know who you are. 
You know what? In the spirit world, every demon knows who you are except you. Every day, you walk into the supermarket, people manifest. And they go, we know who you are. But if you don't say anything, if you don't do anything, we'll just keep on doing what we're doing. Come on. That is why a Christian can come in and light up the room. Not darken the room. <laughs> okay. Uh, this, this is good. I, I'm enjoying this. Okay. Now, look at Acts 3.19. Let this be your wake-up call once and for all. Face the fact that your sins and the scars were completely blotted out. Return to the one you have wandered from, that you may encounter times of rejuvenation or revival in the face-to-face -face immediate embrace of God. Isn't it about time that you woke up to thinking that when you have accepted Christ, there's nothing wrong with you? Let me say something deep. I've said it before, but I, you've got to keep on doing it. Your behavior, your character doesn't change by your behavior. What we've taught is if, you, if I behave right, I must be right. That is why we find it hard to catch criminals because they know how to behave. <laughs> it's true. You learn. People come to church and they know how to behave. I went to a Catholic church. I knew how to behave. You had to kneel down and do this. Everybody thought I was Catholic. Why? I, look, I know how to behave like one. My grandma was a Catholic. She drummed it into me. If I didn't kneel down, it, there was going to be pain that night. One time I didn't do what was right in church. I had to run away from home. And she started, ran out of church and started yelling at me. Because you wait, you'll have to come home and then you're going to get it. We've learned that. But let me tell you how you change behavior. Is when you accept who you are, then, the, then all of a sudden I don't behave like that. Let me give you an example. During the French Revolution, there was a, a, there was a prince to be king. His name was Phil. Philip. And they were, going to kill, they, were, they were going to give him the guillotine. And one of them said, we should not let him die in purity. Let's corrupt him and then we behead him. So there was this innocent young man. And they put him in prison. So what they did is to try to make him a drunk. He wouldn't get drunk. They, they put him in where there was swearing and debauchery. He wouldn't have a part. They, they put prostitutes in his room and he wouldn't touch them. They put witches into his cell and they couldn't curse him. Finally, the guard that was over him got so tired of him, picked him up and says, what is wrong with you? And he said this, I was born a king. I don't do that. See, when you realize who you are, all of the stuff that you are fighting with falls away. That is why Satan can do this. He goes, you're a work in progress. That means I can swear in progress. I can have a bad attitude in progress. Come on, come on. Because I'm in progress. But when I realize that I am a child of the living God, that God settled the issue, I am forgiven, all of a sudden the temptation loses its power. Isn't that, let me show you, isn't that amazing? When you want to get married, 
you see multiple women for, from a guy's point of view. <laughs> right? Well, you know, I was in church and I'm praying. It's like you were worshipping with all the guys in there you were worshipping. Thank you, Jesus. Did you see that one? Yeah, I thank you, Jesus. He said, thank you, Jesus. And then I saw Sule. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. I believe in miracles. God is a God of miracles. Yay. Right? But the moment she got my heart, there was only one woman in the world. All the rest were, I don't know. See, all of a sudden, it wasn't like, oh, oh, oh this one. No, no, no. What happens is this. But every other thought stopped because I fell in love. So some of our problem is that we don't know who we are. And when we start to see who we are, we start to this. Look, Acts 3.19 out of the voice room says, you need, now you need to rethink everything and turn to God so that your sins will be forgiven and a new day can dawn. Days of refreshing, times flowing from the Lord. So what happens is this. That is why, in, in see, let, let me just show you. Only a couple more minutes. When you get saved, God says, be, confess Christ and be baptized, correct? Yeah. Do you realize the significance of that? What happens is this. I get saved. And I go, wow, I, I don't know what happened, but something dramatic. My, I knew I was wrong, and now I'm clean. And then God says now, through the waters of baptism, I will show you what has just happened to you and empower you. Yeah. The Bible says, watch this, that when Jesus was on the cross, I was on the cross with him. So all of a sudden, I now, that I am born again, I am now identifying with the suffering Christ. A lot of people know how to identify the suffering Christ. But there's something that dramatically happened. Then Paul says this way, is a dead man can't keep on sinning. So the Bible says you were crucified with Christ. So what's, what's happening now? As I am now born again, I am having Romans 12, 1 to 3 being performed in my thinking. And all of a sudden, my thinking is now being revived. All of a sudden now, I died with Christ. I suffered with Christ. And he died. Now watch very carefully now. When Jesus died, it meant the price was fully accepted. That means there's no more that can be done. Correct? So all of a sudden, I now have to rethink that everything that I think is wrong with me, everything that people have said is wrong with me, everything there is now dead. I am no longer acquainted with the suffering Christ. But then three days later, I am now resurrected with Christ. You good? So now I've got to get reacquainted with the Christ that is no longer dying for sin. I now longer, he is no longer suffering. He is now ruling and reigning. So I know how to do this, but I've got to be taught how to do this. So my mind, if I do not rethink 
my salvation, I will start to think dead thoughts. What's a dead thought? I'm not good enough. That's a dead thought. I, I have to try harder. Dead thought. Uh, you know what? It doesn't really matter if I don't worship. Dead thought. I'll never be good enough. Dead thought. The Bible says this. Everything that Adam introduced into the world, past, present, future, has been dealt with. And you on the cross, what has been dealt for you, personal. And then he says this. And the Bible says, and as, as you were resurrected, that's what we do when we do water baptism. We go, and you shall rise in the likeness of Christ. He doesn't say you're going to rise up in the likeness of a regenerated Fabianic. I don't like him anyway. He's dead. Smells. I can only find him in the funeral home. But then he says this, and now I get reacquainted with who I am. Now listen to me very carefully. You know when you have revelation, when I get a revelation of Jesus, I also get a revelation of Ted. Because no one else can... My pain cannot tell me my identity. My wife cannot tell me my identity. My parents can't tell me my identity. My lineage cannot tell me my identity. The only one that knows who Ted is, is the maker of Ted, and that is God himself. So why are we looking for others to identify us when God says, if I identify you, that settles it. That is why Peter and John says, I have something that belongs to you. Ooh, okay. Worship team, I want you to come up. 2024 is going to be different. Let me say that again. 2024 is going to be different. Because we're not, we're going to settle the matter once and for all. Listen to me very carefully. If you're in this meeting and you have never, ever made the decision to Christ, you're not going to be rejuvenated. You're going to be born again. And that's when the rejuvenation will start. But those that are born again, why are we still wallowing at the cross? Isn't that amazing? Listen to me carefully. When Mary went to see Jesus on the third day, the angel came to her and she said this. This is what the angel said. Why do you seek the living among the... Let me ask you a question. Why are you seeking your identity in something that's dead? Why would, why would we keep going to the graves and, and talk about somebody else that's passed away? So therefore, listen to me carefully. If, you, if God wants to find you, he doesn't go to the cemetery. He goes to the throne. God never said, God never says, you want to find yourself? Go to your memorial. I haven't got one. Do that. See, what Satan wants to do in 2.24 is what? He says I want you to take all the stuff that bound you in 223. The only thing I want you to do is change the three. Make it a four. Isn't it, isn't it time we settle the issue that God loves us? Isn't it time we settle the issue that I can't earn salvation? 
Isn't the time we settled the issue when God says the sin is finished, it is finished? I love Catherine Kuhlman. I keep using it because it's just amazing. She committed adultery. She's done all this stuff before she became. Then she started to do her healing ministry. She had problems. Then she got touched by God and saved. And this person comes up to her and says, I want to take you back to the gravesite. You see that grave? It says, you did this, you did this. And she said, no, that never happened. Hey, wouldn't it be amazing in your family that after tonight, when you look at your family, you don't see a past, you see God future. Hey, wouldn't it be amazing that you look in the mirror and you go, I know who you are. You're not Ted Fabianic. You're a child of God. You're part of the royal family. And I, I know where you live. Oh, I live in Jesus right next to God. And I go, I, I know who my dad is. I know who Papa is. Papa, his name is God, Yahweh. He's my father. So he doesn't talk to me like, I, I, I'm a king and you're my servant. He says, son, come up here. And isn't the time that we did something so amazing? I want to pray for people. If you're struggling with something, we're going to pray that the spirit of revelation touches you. We're going to make some declarations. I, I know I'm, I'm going a little bit over. But you ne we need to start a new revival. We need to start to revive Christians. We need to start to see people get saved. We cannot bring new people into the church and leave them the same. We can't leave the children of God with sinners' problems. What we need is a fresh revelation. I know what Jesus has done for me. I know the power of the cleansing power of the blood. I know the power of the Holy Spirit. I know who I am. Well, who are you? I have no past. I only have a future. I came from the same womb. I am one of the sons. Jesus is the first, and I am in the lineage from him. So therefore, I look like him, smell like him, I sit with him, and I eat with him. And you know what we're going to pray? Like this beggar. He's begging. And Peter goes, you don't need silver and gold. What you need, I have for you. It belongs to you. You know what we're going to pray? That all of you tonight and all those that are going to be listening on the podcast, you get a revelation. God, show me what's, what's inside me. God, show, show, show me my potential. God, show me the dreams that you have given me. Show me the mountains I've got to climb. Show me the businesses I have to start. Show me the relationship I need to heal. God, what have you put inside of me? And it's not, listen carefully, what God put inside of you is not potential, it's reality. Potential, he says, is this, you good with me? Potential is this, that I give you something if you work hard enough, if you put the effort in, you can get it. That's what potential is. See, some people, when you look at an athlete, you go, he's got the potential to win the 200 meter. But he's got to go into training. But God says, I didn't do it. I gave you a winner. All you need to do is let him out. Come on, why don't you stand with me?
your eyes for a moment. Have some time with God. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I'm here to tell you that this belongs to you. That the healing belongs to you. That the answer for that real hard question belongs to you. The healing for your emotions belongs to you. The new future belongs to you. It's not in heaven that somebody's going to bring you down. It's not in the grave that somebody's going to resurrect it. It's right near you. It's in your heart and your mouth. That beggar was the last time that he ever begged. Because after that, the Bible says he was rejoicing. Because all of a sudden, he received what Jesus had already given him. I want to receive what has been given me. Just, just, just right now, as, as, as we're doing this, I want you to start to pray that, God, I want to, God, I want to see what has already been given me. God, I, I want to see that I, I, I want to see those things that you put inside of me. I, I want to see those dreams. I want to see my healing. I want to see my provision. I, I want to see my relationships. I want to see a life that's full of bright and future. But I want to see the new me. I don't want to see the broken me. I don't want to see the refracted me. I want to see the new me. I want to see me like you see me. God, Father, I just pray for everybody here right now. That right now, I break the spirit of stupor over you. I break the sleep over you. Years and years of doing the same thing has put you to sleep. But I'm here to tell you, wake up. I speak to your spirit, wake up. I speak to your body.